It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. We got uh, Admiral James Stavridis joining us now, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. He's got a book coming out shortly. He'll tell us about it, although it's fiction. Too bad. I feel as though it will be nonfiction soon. Larry Kudlow, do we need this rescue package? What is it like working at Fox? He's been here a week, he must know. He'll be joining us live from Orlando because I believe he's hosting a show from there over at CPAC. Uh, and, of course, you can get our show anytime, BrianKillMeShow.com, and you can get us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, uh, anywhere you can get your, your, uh, uh, your podcast, you can go get it. Uh, this is CPAC. We're going to be giving you maybe dipping in and out. Right now, Governor Ron DeSantis is speaking. Uh, you know, he is a rock star amongst Republicans. And if Donald Trump does not run, he will certainly run uh, for president of the United States. Uh, speaking today is going to be got Scott Walker, Senator James Langford. Uh, Pam Bondi is going to be speaking today. Uh, Senator Rick Scott, Senator Hawley, Donald Trump Jr. It's going to be a big day at CPAC in Orlando, which was supposed to be supposed to be in Maryland. But they thought it was too risky. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We're confident in the the target that we went after. We know what we hit. And we're confident that that target was being used by the same uh, Shia militia that that conducted the, the strikes. Airstrike in Syria in response to Iran's actions in Iraq. What was the mission? Who were the targets? And was it successful? All important questions. But this action by President Biden flies in the face of condemnations of Trump as candidate Biden. We'll review. Number two. The conservative movement isn't about a a single voice. It's about lots of voices. We have a star-studded lineup of great conservatives. You do. match Schlapp uh, on the Ingram Angle last night. CPAC is underway in Orlando, and there are signs of a coming together amongst Republicans thanks to Trump's stubborn popularity and Biden's off-the-wall policies. As Mitch McConnell makes a stunning admission, we'll bring you the latest. Number one. Some of the people making these decisions still have Black Lives Matter yard signs in their lawn, and they're perpetuating uh, the, 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 the worst racially divided educational system since the Jim Crow era all over the country. John James talking, remember the senatorial candidate, back to school, we should have never left. You have heard me say this before, but now in a remarkable op-ed in all things, the New York Times columnist Nick Kristoff demands and gets it, I hope, the attention of Democratic cities, blue cities, blue states that refuse to open up. So I was really struck by this. Nicholas Kristoff. I'm um, talking about school closures. Writes a column, does his normal put down of uh, Republicans in masks, but then he gets into it. And he writes this. Many Democrats seem to have become more suspicious of in-person schooling last summer because of President Trump. We shouldn't let ourselves be driven by ideology rather than science. The blunt fact is that as Democrats, including those who run west from the West Coast, California through Oregon to Washington, who have presided over one of the worst blows to the education of disadvantaged Americans in history. He goes on. The results are more dropouts, less literacy, and widening race gaps, long-term harm to some of the most marginalized youth 
because you have people dropping out. The San Francisco Federal Reserve this month estimated that the educational disruptions during this pandemic, Christoph writes, may increase the number of high school dropouts over 10 years by almost 4%, while reducing the number of college-educated workers in the labor force. It'll shrink the, it'll shrink the incomes of America 70, for 70 years. Until the last of today's students leave the workforce, this is going to be the case. Rich kids go to private school and have been gliding through this pandemic unaffected. While low-income children often don't even have Internet to attend Zoom classes, he says, I am writing this from rural Oregon where some homes have neither Internet nor cell phone service. More evidence that teachers have no reason to be out of schools. He cites a two-lane study that found that in most of the United States, school openings do not increase coronavirus hospitalizations or cases, and teachers generally don't seem at greater risk than people in other occupations. While it's crucial to improve ventilation, increasing testing, and maintaining adequate spacing, those steps are all possible, always, and failure to meet every benchmark shouldn't automatically stop you from in-person teaching. We've been saying this from day one. It is not a Democrat or Republican thing, but when you see this in the New York Times and feel the frustration of the parents and the depression amongst the kids. They can't get a psychological, a psychiatric bed in these facilities for adolescents. They have to go to emergency rooms because these kids have lost their moorings. Adam Carolla out on the left coast has had it, was on with Tucker, decided to tweet out last week that, you know, these L.A. Uh, these LA teachers unions should stop being cowards and get back to the classrooms, I'll paraphrase. And they want to take his sponsors away. They start blasting him from his mansion. How dare you do that? Here's what Adam Carolla said, cut seven. I got 14-year-old twins that have been sitting in their La Cunada mansion rotting for the last year. And they're supposed to start high school, and they've never started high school. And it's abundantly clear what's going on now. The people that tell you to follow the science are ignoring the science. So I just realized we're going to have to buck up. I mean, they're ice sculptures. They're not going anywhere. They're frozen. And we need to step up, and people need to rise up and start telling these heroes to start doing their job again. Yeah, sarcastic heroes. Teachers are great. They don't do it for the money. They do it for the impact. Uh, but they're being shielded by these unions and being prevented from doing their job in many cases. they got to get to work. It is not up to you. It is the kids that are paying the price, and it's the kids that are most vulnerable that are doing it. I talk to my daughter all the time. She's a senior. says a lot of people just turn, off, turn this thing off. And, you know, uh, she goes to school, but she has a hybrid option. And she says, you know, it's very easy to cheat, too, so you're not even learning. So a bad combination for everybody. Teachers got to get back in the classroom. Bottom line. So let's talk about what's happening at CPAC. Senator Mike Lee speaking now. Governor Ron DeSantis uh, just spoke. Of course, a lot of references to Russ, uh, to Rush and his passing at his funeral yesterday. Uh, it was only about 40 family members that were asked to go. So what is going to be the future of the Republican Party? If you just go Republicans, they're not going to win too many uh, national elections. The presidency is gone. They have to attract moderates. they got to get back suburban women. And you can't do that by saying my way or the highway. And you can't do that by alienating Donald Trump. And Donald Trump cannot win anything besides the nomination without the entire party and Democrats. And Senator Mitch McConnell shocked me yesterday after being so against the president for the last month while working well with him for the last four years. He said this to Brett, and I want to share this with you. Cut eight. The Republican Party is actually in very good shape. We're sorry we lost the White House. But the Republican Party demonstrated once again this is a 50-50 nation. We're very competitive. I think 
the Biden administration is making it easy for us to get together. And I think we've unified in opposition to this new administration's extremely progressive approach. The President Biden has made it quite easy for us to get together. If the president was the party's nominee, would you support him? Uh, the nominee of the party? Absolutely. I was stunned by that. Were you? one 866 I want you to Donald Trump Jr., though. Uh, pretty much I have to wonder. Now, if the president goes out and does not attack Mitch McConnell, does not attack Liz Cheney, just goes after the policies and to get back to normal elections without being besieged by mail-in ballots, without this pullback on identification when it comes to voting, things will go back to normal. That's what I hope he focuses on, getting every state to do what North Carolina has done and what Florida has done, what Texas has done, I think. And that is just make sure the elections are authentic and these massive mail-in ballots where we don't know where they're coming from, that had to be pandemic only. Donald Trump Jr., though, let everybody know, this might be divide and divide. Cut 12. I actually love when I see, you know, some of the corporate interests around America say, we're not going to support Republicans anymore. Good, because that means the Republican Party isn't going to be bound to the, those corporate interests anymore. Our congressmen and our senators can actually start fighting for the American people the way that Donald Trump did. So I love that they are making that link uh, and breaking it, because we need more of that, and we need candidates and people who will go to bat, who will go to war and fight for the American working class and make sure we put them first. Well, that's true. But the one thing I think the Tea Party's made a mistake at, they primaried so many people, a lot of them couldn't win the general election. They're already primarying Adam Kinzinger over in Illinois, and you got to make sure you hold on to that seat. You cannot lose him. He's a pretty strong candidate. I think he's a great guy. I think he's way off base on this. I know he's disappointed in Donald Trump, but starting a super PAC to go against him uh, really hurts his party. But primarying everybody that voted for impeachment, Liz Cheney and company, I think is a huge mistake. And we'll see if the president sets the table for that or by not bringing it up, sets the table to not do that. When we come back, what about the Syrian strikes last night? Were they effective? Was that the right move? Is it right to go back to talks with people that are housing al-Qaeda's leaders? They are. Talking about Iran. Admiral James Chavitas next. And then on our economy, the rescue package, the minimum wage not, will not be in it, but it looks like they'll pass it with a simple majority. Is that the right move for the country? Larry Kudlow on that. And what's it like working at the same place as me? It must be a thrill. Back in a moment. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. 
In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in Blue Collar Trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think this is a, a, a good call. And for what reason? First of all, it's measured in terms of the scale of the attack. Um, but it also is sufficient enough to send a message to the Iranians that this new administration, new president, uh, new secretary of defense, that they are unequivocally going to protect U.S. forces deployed around the world. So that's message to Iranians, message to our adversaries. So there's a hit in Syria last night after Iranian-backed militia, 17 Iranians, they, uh, excuse me, say, yeah, 17 of these militia members were killed. Uh, they dropped seven JDAMs on seven separate targets. That's a preliminary report. Admiral James Javidis knows this region quite well, served there for quite a long time. Uh, he joins us now, former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, and he has a uh, book coming out, 2034, a novel of the next world war he wrote with Elliot Ackerman as he looks at our battles uh, in the South China Sea, possibly with China. Uh, Admiral, what's your take? What's your read? What do your contacts say about the strike last night? 100% in agreement with General Jack. Um, no question, this was intended as a signal to the Iranians to back off. And I think that message, hopefully, will get through. Let's, let's recognize that this is part of a cycle of escalation that's been going on for about a year since we killed, in my view appropriately, General Soleimani. And uh, what led to this strike, as you know, Brian, is the Iranian back Shia militias who launched strikes at our bases in mid to late February. So this is, as General Jack said, it's appropriate, it's sufficient, it's a signal, and it ought to leave open, um, number one, uh, another run at negotiating an agreement with the Iranians, as long as we keep the pressure on them, which we need to. And number two, it strengthens our allies who see that we are willing to respond. So it's a signal not just to the Iranians, but to the allies as well. It was a good move. So, and, you know, you have a, a target-rich environment. We have a lot of enemies over there. So you're in Iraq where they want our presence. You're in Iran. Uh, Iran is there, and they don't want our presence. And Syria wish we were gone years ago, but we haven't left there. But they have so many elements they have no control over there, maybe including this one. They tolerate because Iran sustained them. Here's what they're saying. Um, the facilities belong to what the Pentagon said were Iran-backed militia in a calibrated response to rocket attacks against U.S. targets. Uh, his decision to strike only in Syria and not in Iraq, at least for now, according to our source, gives the Iraqi government some breathing room as it carries out its own investigation about the September, excuse me, the February 15 attack that wounded Americans. Yeah, that, that sums it up nicely. Um, and let's recognize that Iraq is divided between Sunnis, Shia, and Kurds up in the north. So they have an internal, domestic, political 
calculus um, that is part of this equation, hence the comment, let's give them some space. Let's face it, eastern Syria is a free fire zone at this point. It's full of uh, still Islamic State militants, the Shia-backed, these Iranian-backed Shia militias. Um, We have no problem going in there and doing what we need to do. And by the way, Brian, I don't know if you saw this, but NATO at the defense ministerial last week has agreed to increase the NATO training mission, not not just U.S., we're part of it, but the NATO training mission in Iraq from 500 to 4,000 troops. Again, that's the right move uh, to bolster the Iraqis, because in the end, uh, they do not want to be taken over by the Iranians. We need to help them keep their distance, as you said, keep some breathing space for the Iraqi government. You know, I, I was never comfortable with the president pulling out and abandoning the Kurds years ago. We ended yep. up keeping like 50 people still there. Uh, by all accounts, it seems like the right message is sent to Iran, who is getting more rambunctious uh, by the day since President Biden took over. And uh, number two is I would not mind a change in strategy. Right now we have no missions against ISIS. They're not – our guys are there, 2,500 to, and women. 2,500 are there, but they're no longer allowed to partake in combat missions against ISIS. Why? They're our enemy. Yeah, that's a mistake. And uh, I think it's unclear why they have been moved off the front lines other than in the run-up to the election last fall, Brian, I think. Understandably, the then administration didn't want to have a bunch of casualties. Well, we've got a new administration. I think the Biden team ought to send our folks forward in those missions. And you and I both know our special forces want to do that. They're the most capable in the world. We've got to continue to go after the Islamic State. Think of the Islamic State, Brian, as a a forest fire that's burned down, but there's still embers on the ground. We need to go in and stomp them out. I agree. So I want you to hear what John Kerry said. Evidently, he was telling people over in Europe uh, that, don't worry, this president's going to get impeached. And in 27 and 2019, he went to these international conferences with Iranians there. He met with Zarif, at which time he was basically saying, hold on, we're going to be taken over. He's going to lose an election. And I want you to hear what he said. Uh, well, how long ago was this, Eric? Probably uh, 2018. Listen. It's been reported you've met with him a couple of times, at least since uh, leaving office as well. Yes, so I you have. still. And, That's accurate. Is it a half dozen times, a dozen times? I've probably seen him three or four times. Are you trying to coach him through the Trump administration's rejection of the JCPOA? No, that's not my job, and, and my coaching him would not, you know, that's, that's not how it works. What I, what I have done is tried to elicit from him what Iran might be willing to do in order to change the dynamic of the Middle East for the better. Is that his job as a former Secretary of State, let alone what he's been accused of doing and telling him what the Washington Times reported was to basically ignore the Trump administration? They're going to be out soon? Uh, No, it's not his job. And you heard him say it's not his job. I think that uh, Secretary Kerry had a personal relationship with this Iranian, Zarif. Um, And, you know, your personal relationships tend to carry on after you get out of office. I've had that experience as well. What matters now is what is the Biden team doing? Let's focus on the fact that uh, they've been pretty smart so far, not only with this retaliatory strike we've talked about, but getting our allies on board. And again, Brian, this strike is a message not just to Iran, but to our allies that we are going to use military force when we need to. We're willing to have diplomacy 
but we're not going to be pushed around by Iran in the region. I think that's a pretty good message for the morning. Yeah, I just if Mike Pompeo was out saying, don't worry about this uh, regime or that regime uh, or say something about Joe Biden, I'd be just as offended. I just think it's way out of bounds. I look forward to your book, 2034, a novel of the next world war and talk about it again when it comes out. Admiral, thanks so much. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. fastest three hours in radio you're with brian kilmeade less than nine percent of this bill that he's brought before congress has to do with public health in fact if you look at the bill the first thing i would say is let's help families let's help small businesses who are struggling and let's make sure we get kids back in school do you know uh, shannon that in this bill that president biden is bringing uh 95 of this money will not even be spent this year for reopening schools. Mm-hmm. What are they doing with the money if they're not using it to help families, small businesses, reopening schools? And they can't even spend the stuff that they got in December when Larry Kudlow was there. There's $900 billion uh, that is overall over the last year about uh, uh, over a trillion not been spent. Larry Kudlow is a former White House advisor, but now on the top of his resume is uh, host of Kudlow on FBN weeknights at 4 and at 7 o'clock. Uh, Fox News contributor as well. Larry, welcome. Uh, how's it going so far? The show looks great. Thanks, Brian. It looks great. It feels great. Uh, very energizing for me. The Fox folks have given me fabulous support. So it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Whatever you're dealing with, it's going to get a lot better when people come back to actual work and don't have to work remote. So if you could tolerate the the the, the challenges early, you're going to love it later. Uh, but I think everybody here is just thrilled you're, you've come over right from the White House. But why did you choose not to take even a day off? You got a radio show going. You got two two hours on live television. Is there a part of Larry Kudlow that wants to take a deep breath? Well, <laughs> uh, I had some time off, so it wasn't all that bad. But um, I don't know. I have a lot of energy. I feel good. I love working. You know that. And I love the TV. I love the radio. Got off to a good start uh, in both. Um, I don't know. It's just great fun, Brian. I'm very blessed. These are wonderful opportunities. So, you know, turn the page, new chapter. I'm just working at it. It's the way I am. Got it. Uh, so let's talk about this rescue package. You know the reality. You watch a great economy being torn apart before your eyes through something that had nothing to do with you. And then you had to quickly put the Band-Aid on there and get some money into the bloodstream as people were asked not to work and make a living. But that was a year ago. Do we need $1.9 trillion now? No, absolutely not. I don't know who, uh, when you had your sound uh, with, I guess, Shannon Bream, whoever the Steve guest Scalise. was. Had exactly Steve Scalise. Right. Well, Steve Scalise was exactly right. And, you know, the first rescue was very well crafted, I thought, and it was bipartisan. And if you recall, Brian, things like the um, – payroll protection yeah. plan really worked, probably saved about 50, 55 million jobs. And subsequently, the numbers uh, show that. And we targeted things very specifically where they were necessary. And the money was 
by and large, not all of it, but most of that money was spent. Then you shift gears to the December package, the $900 billion. Uh, almost none of that money has been spent. And now you shift gears to this $1.9 trillion, and you've got total unspent money of a trillion dollars. But there's a lot of things in there that are going to damage the economy in the long run. There's a lot of things that blunt work incentives, for example, that will damage economic growth in the long run. In the short run, you get a little puffed for about a month or two, uh, but the economy is already, this is the key point, the economy is already uh, rising. There's a V-shaped recovery uh, going on. We just had a number this morning, a gigantic increase in personal income, 10% in the month of January. And that follows all these numbers, uh, housing, consumer spending, businesses are investing in, in capital equipment, uh, and so forth. So the key is keep the vaccines coming. I don't need a phony stimulus package. Keep the vaccines coming. We're very close to herd immunity. That opens the economy. That opens schools. And that gives us a longer-lasting economic boom without all these disincentives from Washington. So, Larry, without earmarks, when you have a bill like this, this is what people are starting to say, well, this is my opportunity to get my own spending in. So they're trying to get a transit system bulked up for $500 billion uh, in San Francisco, a bridge built from Buffalo into Canada. They're talking about linguistic, uh, preserving ancient American Indian languages uh, in the middle of the country. There's uh, there's a arts, $100 million for arts and entertainment. So as much as people might say, wow, I could really use that infusion of $1,400 cash, do you think that this is the time to add all this other stuff in and still call it an emergency? Listen to what Joe Biden dared us last Friday to do. We need Congress to pass my American Rescue Plan. It deals with the immediate crisis facing our small businesses. Now, critics say the plan is too big. Let me ask them a rhetorical question. What would you have me cut? Then let's not make it rhetorical. Let me ask Larry Kudlow that question. What would, who would, he, who would you have him cut? <laughs> well, I thought, well, pretty much everything across the board. But, but By the way, you were naming all these things. My favorite one is the teachers' union bribe. There's $130 billion, uh, presumably targeting schools and school openings. But the trouble is none of it takes, or I think $4 billion, that's all, takes effect this year. The rest of it spends out for the next four or five years. That is a bribe to the teachers' union, which keeps wanting more money and will not go back to school. These teachers, they say even if you you vaccine them, they won't go back to school. So in terms of the rest of this stuff, look, the GOP had a $600 billion alternative, which was much more strictly targeted uh, to low-end income and small businesses uh, and vaccine assistance. I thought that was more sensible. I'm, I'm not sure we needed that. But that would have been a much better deal. There was uh, now the parliamentarian, the Senate, fortunately, threw out the minimum wage hike. So that is a plus. Uh, Speaker Pelosi thinks it's going to pass on a separate vote. I doubt it. But in any event, never get through the Senate. So a little bit of damage was avoided. But no, President Biden knows full well that there were options 
he met with Republican senators, remember? And then nothing came of it. So there's no unity. There's no bipartisanship. There's no compromise. And it could easily have been done because you know that there was bipartisan agreement on the other rescue packages. And you saw those 10 senators, as you mentioned, walk over to the White House and say, I'll give you $680 billion. And they and they and there's obviously difference between that and one point nine. But you could begin to set the table to put pressure on your party, the Republicans, to do things. He could say, listen, I told you I'm working across the aisle. I went down from 1.9, let's say, to 1.3. And he could still get a lot of that stuff in. And that's the way I thought it would be played in a savvy way, looking a little bit long term, the longer game. But it's not. Here's what is good news, I think. The minimum wage. A parliamentarian rule, the minimum wage should not be included in this, forcing everybody to pay every state uh, to pay $15 minimum wage, including in the hospitality ring. And they have to get that with 60 votes. What is your reaction to that? Well, I think it's right. I mean, I'm glad the parliamentarian did what she did, uh, preserving the so-called bird rule. Um, other things could have been thrown out, too, but at least she focused on that. That's a plus. Look, the, the point is, I, I just want to reemphasize this. Um, we are in a very strong recovering economy. Even with 700,000 700, uh, job, uh, jobless claims on Thursday? Well, yeah, I mean, that's coming back down. And employment will be the last. But look, uh, all these other measures, as I said, housing, retail sales, business uh, investment are booming. I mean, they're just booming. Commodity markets are booming. That's a sign of industrial uh, activity. So all very good. And by the way, in the market, the bond market is slumping. Now you have uh, a revolt. The bond market vigilantes are driving up long-term interest rates. They're voting against the stimulus. Uh, and that's because we're going to have to finance so much money, uh, probably nine or 10% of GDP. It's really remarkable. And people are starting to worry. I knew this was going to happen. Be careful what you wish for. Too much stimulus. Too many bonds, and that affects the stock market. We had a little sell-off yesterday. I'm not a bear on this stuff. I'm just saying there are signs of suspicion that this is not good policy. What we need to do is get um, get herd immunity through the vaccinations, Brian. That is the single most important thing, and incidentally, it's happening. I mean, important doctors, John Hopkins and places, they're talking about we may be now already at 55% of herd immunity. So yeah. uh, that's the most hopeful thing that will roar the economy, uh, get the blue collar folks back. You'll see better jobs numbers this spring. And we don't need all this flotsam and jetsam from Washington, which is, as you noted, just a lot of interest group uh, type spending. Uh, Larry Cutler, our guest, his show is now on FBN at four and seven. He's going to be, he's going to be speaking at CPAC, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm speaking uh, Sunday morning. Sunday morning, uh, no, and the president no, will be speaking later. Have, gonna, have you spoke to the I'm former? Talk of, go go no, ahead, Larry. I have I, I'm probably going to try to get to him today uh, to weigh in on some things, but uh, I really want to walk through his achievements. You know, uh, one of these weird things with the Biden group, they will not give Mr. Trump any credit. Uh, for example, on the vaccines, uh, where Operation Warp Speed was one of the signature achievements of the administration, and laid the groundwork uh, for this massive uh, vaccination surge, which is opening the economy. Well, they say um, they didn't have any vaccines. 
when they came in. That's just utter nonsense. $1.3 million per day is what they got from the Trump administration. And other things, his achievements in energy, uh, which are being wrecked by Biden policies. This woman, Howland, who's going to go into the Interior Department if she gets uh, voted in, she's a um, hardcore, uh, ultra-radical anti-fossil fuel, uh, and they're knocking out pipelines that will cost jobs. In fact, Indian tribes will lose jobs in the Dakotas. Um, other things they're doing um, to raise taxes they're talking about, to over-regulate the economy, to build up uh, Obamacare. Uh, that stuff is wrong, and we need to go back to the Trump achievements, and that's going to be the bulk of my uh, speech. And I think the president is going to address these things as well, contrasting his you know, job creation, blue-collar boom, with uh, what the Bidens are promoting, which is the exact opposite. Larry, what was it like in there for uh, almost three years? as opposed to the, the Reagan years when you served prior. People talk about the partisanship, I get it. But what about, I know you've changed, you grow, and you get smarter and better looking, in my opinion. Uh, but uh, what was it like you working for this president as opposed to Reagan? And what was it, the fact is, he has such respect for you, and I think it's mutual. You probably had a very different relationship than others. So could you bring us inside 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? Well, thank you. Look, um, as National Economic uh, Council Director, it was a much more senior, senior job uh, with President Trump. It, I call it the job of a lifetime. And, you know, we had an influential staff at the NEC. We had domestic and international and national security work and lots of time with the president. The president was always accessible to me. Uh, and so I'd be in and out almost on a daily basis. And we did get along well, even when we disagreed. We, we disagreed well. And he's always open to stuff, especially facts and figures. Look, I love that job. Uh, it, it, it didn't end great. I'm sorry about that. And, you know, a bunch of us uh, were disappointed. But on policy terms, he's a very hands-on president, as you know. And I enjoyed that a lot. And every time you walk into the Oval Office, you had to be ready because there's no telling what he was going to ask you. And I just thought that was great fun, and I enjoyed it. In the Reagan years, uh, I was at OMB. Now, uh, in those days, OMB was probably more powerful, and I, I did have good face time with President Reagan, but not near as much. I mean, the job was much junior, and um, I could weigh in, but I had to go through, you know, senior staff. James Baker was the chief of staff and a brilliant one. Um, so it was a, sort of a different position. Obviously, the, the two men had um, – different uh, approaches to life and communications. But I do want to say this. Uh, maybe people miss this. Reagan policies, which was, you know, strong defense buildup, slashing taxes, slashing regulations, and protecting uh, jobs from unfair trade, very, very similar to what Donald Trump promoted and uh, implemented. So the styles of the yeah. two men were different. But the policies, Brian... Uh, were pro-growth and really much more similar than people realize. Larry, thanks so much. I know we're going to be doing this a lot. You're going to be sick of me. You're going to be getting – I'm going to get voicemail when I call soon because – but now that we work in the same place. But, uh, but I'll see you in the lunchroom if not. Uh, Larry, thanks. <laughs> Have a great speech Sunday. Take care, buddy. Appreciate it very much. All right. Uh, Larry Cudlow, back to work in seven days a week. Back with your calls in just a moment.
Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm alarmed that you won't say with certainty that minors should not have the ability to make the decision to take hormones that will affect them for the rest of their life. Will you make a more firm decision on whether or not minors should be involved in these decisions? Senator, uh, transgender medicine is a very complex and nuanced field, uh, and if confirmed to the position of Assistant Secretary of Health, I would certainly be pleased to come to your office and talk with you and your staff about the standards of care and the complexity of this field. Let it go into the record that the witness refused to answer the question. The question is a very specific one. Should minors be making these momentous decisions? It's unbelievable. So he was for a three-year-old if decided they want to be a girl or a boy to make those decisions. That was uh, Rand Paul on Capitol Hill yesterday questioning a nominee uh, called Rachel uh, Levine, who was a man transgendered to be a woman and will be a historic candidacy. The question is, what will be the policy? I mean, I really don't care about your ethnicity. I don't care about your gender. It's your policy. And Rand Paul is just horrified by seeing an eight-year-old who says, you know, I feel like a girl or I feel like a, a boy making that type of life decision. And he could not get her to commit that that was wrong. Part of the bizarre nature of what's going on in Capitol Hill and some of the questions and things uh, that are happening. He's got an interior secretary that doesn't want to drill. That's usually problematic. I'm pretty sure that is problematic. Incredible. Um I think the number one story for me is that Nicholas Kristof column that just outlined exactly what we've been saying. Can you imagine a liberal columnist writing an editorial in liberal The New York Times who backs every Democratic candidate and everything Joe Biden does, but calling out Democrats for in blue states in power for not making their teachers union get back to work because – It's hurting kids that need it the most. The rich kids go to private school. The middle class maybe can afford Catholic school. If you have to depend on public school, you are out of luck in tens of thousands of counties across our country. And one of the things I thought was so telling, he writes, it's hard to open schools during a pandemic, but private schools mostly manage to. And that's true, not only of rich boarding schools, but also cash-strapped Catholic schools. As a nation, we fought to keep restaurants and malls open, but we didn't make schools a similar priority, so needy children were left behind. The evidence on remote learning suggests that despite the best efforts of teachers, it doesn't work for a large group of people. I know that for sure. That according to an expert at Brown University, Emily Oster. She says, I think it deprioritizes children in a way that's going to do long-term damage. I know that's the case. You know about the suicidal tendency. You know the sense of dislocation. You know how hard you see you work to keep your kids off those devices and all watching television. And now you're begging them to watch television and they're shutting it off. But for the wrong reasons. They, when they should be learning and they can't interact. It's got to stop. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live 
from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Welcome, everyone, to the latest minutes of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, we have a lot coming up. Senator Lindsey Graham is just about ready to join us. We're also going to be joined uh, by Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis. Man, she's making an impact uh, uh, nationally, but also locally. She's always been uh, aggressive and taking on Governor Cuomo and wanted to be governor for a while. Uh, now she's got a key uh, position, one of those uh, many seats that flipped over in the House. She's going to be joining us and talking about the trouble that Cuomo's in that most of the media is ignoring. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We're confident in the, in the target that we went after. We know what we hit. And we're confident that that target was being used by the same uh, Shia militia that, uh, that conducted the, the strikes. General Lloyd Austin talking about the airstrikes in Syria that killed 17 last night. What was the mission? What were the targets? And was it successful? We'll review it. Number two. The conservative movement isn't about a, a single voice. It's about lots of voices. We have a star-studded lineup of great conservatives. That's true, and it's happening right now. We saw Senator Mike Lee, Senator James Langford, Governor Ron DeSantis speak already at CPAC. It's underway in Orlando. The president's going to speak on Sunday. And thanks to his stubborn popularity and Biden's off-the-wall policies, Mitch McConnell also made a stunning admission the party might actually be coming together. Number one. Some of the people making these decisions still have Black Lives Matter yard signs in their lawn, and they're perpetuating uh, the, 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 the worst racially divided educational system since the Jim Crow era all over the country. Yeah, back to school. We should have never left. You have heard me say this before, but now in a remarkable op-ed in the New York Times, columnist Nicholas Kristof demands that kids go back to school and cites stats that show how damaged kids are by laying out most in Democratic states. With me right now, Senator Lindsey Graham. Uh, Senator, are you surprised it's taking so long to get these kids back to school? Uh, yeah, really. I think the upside of, of of going back is far greater than staying out. Most kids are in school in South Carolina with an option. But, you know, we're trying to control the transmission of the disease. But the collateral damage to shutting down small businesses and keeping kids kids out of school for over a year. Uh, it's time to get back in school, period. Last night, uh, a strike in Syria. Can't wait to get your take. Uh, the 17 killed, according to right. uh, Reuters. Uh, we, uh, we went after a militia, an Iranian-backed militia in Syria. Seven JDAMs were dropped on seven separate targets. Was it the right move? Uh, yeah, definitely. I talked to Secretary of State Blinken this morning about that and other things, and I told him they had my full support. What's happening here is that they're staging these operations in Iraq out of Syria. Syria has become somewhat of a safe haven for uh, Hezbollah and, and uh, uh, Shiite militia groups in Iraq, so they stage in Syria. Hitting them in Syria I thought was a smart move. You don't have the problems you do if you hit in Iraq with the political system. The, the prime minister of Iraq has been pretty good. He's been a good ally. So I support this. Uh, this is the place where they were supplying weapons and material to folks inside of Iraq, hitting our troops and our diplomats. So I'm all for it. More the better. So we have 2,500 personnel left in Iraq, but they're not going after ISIS at all. That's not part combat is not part of their mission. What should be, are you comfortable with that? 
Yeah, they actually are assisting in uh, ISIS, counter-ISIS operations. Uh, they're uh, a check against uh, the Shiite militia groups backed by Iran. We've sacrificed a lot in Iraq. Uh, we've had thousands of people die and thousands more wounded. Iraq is a very strategic place in the Mideast, and uh, the government is working with us better than ever. So these troops are an insurance policy against the rise of ISIS and a stabilizing force in Iraq that counters Iran. So I think they need to stay there, and uh, it's in our interest for Iran not to get stronger and ISIS not to come back. You're a Republican. You called a Democratic administration secretary of state and said, I have a full support. I don't know of any Democrat that did that at any point to Pompeo or Tillerson or the president of the United States when it came to international affairs, just to point out. In fact, at this time, Jen Psaki in 2017, after a strike in Syria, what was the legal authority for strikes? Assad is a brutal dictator, but Syria is a sovereign country. Flashback October 16, 2019, after a, after a Trump strike in Syria. The events of the past week have brought Syria and initiated in Syria have had a devastating clarity of just how dangerous this president is. Just noted. They never stopped playing politics when it came to uh, to strikes, especially killing Soleimani. For the most part, Biden said it was a mistake. Yeah, well, they've been wrong about almost everything. So I don't use them as my role model as to how I should behave myself. Uh, they're hypocrites on steroids when it comes to the border. They're opening up the same facilities they accused of being concentration camps when Trump ran the place. Uh, they're using the same military maneuvers Trump did to rein in the Iranian influence inside of Iraq to protect our troops. And you don't hear a damn word from the media. Um, you know, they, they assumed that Kavanaugh was guilty by the accusation. Where are these people now? Uh, what Cuomo? Yeah, I, I, I'm consistent. Uh, Governor Cuomo is presumed innocent until proven otherwise. Every woman needs to be heard. But um, they rushed to the judgment when it came to Kavanaugh. It's not the nature of the accusation. It's the party you're in in terms of the person being accused. So the people running the uh, the administration are beyond hypocritical, but I choose not to play their game. I choose to help because the 2,500 <clears throat> Americans uh, in Iraq need all of our help. Yeah, and there's certain issues that are, are America-related and not party-related. That's one of them. The other one should be immigration. And now we're seeing yeah. this. According to Axios, and you were just at the border. I can't wait to get your take on this. Um, a top staffer told administration officials today that the agency is projecting a peak of 13,000 unaccompanied minors across the border in May. That would by far be a new record. And we've already seen hundreds stream across the border, and we don't have facilities for them. So guess what, Senator? we got to put them in those same facilities, including Homestead, Florida, that President Trump was condemned for putting kids in. Well, so Kamala Harris, during the 2019, uh, uh, in 2019, when she was running for president, went outside this facility in Florida, Miami, Homestead, and basically protested it as being inhumane, a concentration camp-type situation. Well, they're opening up the same facility. They're opening up the same facility in Texas. You don't hear a damn word from the media. So anything Trump did was wrong. They tried to destroy his presidency for the entire four years. Uh, the people who criticize Trump are doing the exact same thing. And here's what I would urge them to do. I would urge them to follow Trump's lead on immigration. The Remain in Mexico policy stopped a flood of asylum seekers. Uh, we had millions of people over time come to our border 
claiming asylum. There weren't really asylum cases. There were economic distress cases under the old system. They were processed in the United States. They were released in the United States. Their court date was four years out. They never showed up. Trump stopped that by saying to Mexico, you keep them until their court date. Guess what? People stopped coming. They're not going to pay $20,000 to spend four years in Mexico. They're about to undo that policy, and it's going to be a nightmare. He didn't have to do this. There was no pressure to undo it. He could honestly have said, listen, I'm in a pandemic now. I got to get this vaccine in people's arms. I got to stand up the economy. And instead, he chose to stop drilling. Uh, he, he chose to stop yeah. pipelines. And he stopped building the wall, which was already paid for. And, and you know, what did you see at the border? Uh, because I'm going to tell you what Jen Psaki said when asked if it's a crisis at the border. This is what she said yesterday. Cut 29. Well, certainly, um, you know, having uh, unaccompanied minors uh, travel across the border and so many that we are looking, we had to open a new facilities is something that we uh, take incredibly seriously. And we, um, you know, are eager to, of course, address humanely. Uh, and uh, with the focus of keeping them safe. I don't think I'm going to put new labels on it from here or from the podium, but it is a, a, a priority of the administration. It's a priority of our Secretary of Homeland Security and certainly of the president who's kept abreast of the developments. Not a crisis. What did you see? I saw a complete uh, chaos in the making. I talked to the customs agents who control the point of entry. That's where you drive through the United States and they check for drugs and they make sure that agricultural products don't have disease in them, guess what? Uh, They're going to be overrun with asylum seekers who show up, jump out of cars. If you get one step, one foot in the United States and claim asylum, we have to process you under the Biden administration new policy. And it's going to take them away from checking cars for drugs and agricultural products for disease. They're going to get overwhelmed. The Border Patrol Uh, I saw a wall being built uh, in Nogales, Arizona, right on the Mexican-U.S. border, Uh, two double-layered walls, really very impressive, with 18 holes in them. Water flows from Mexico into the United States, so they got these panels they're going to put up, Brian, that will allow water to run through the bottom of the panel. Well, they were the last ones to go up, and the Biden administration has told the Border Patrol, you can't put these panels up. Uh, and you got 18 holes in the wall now that you could drive a tank column through, making the wall completely useless. It's beyond dumb. It's insane. They're turning uh, away from the remaining Mexico policy. Uh, they're keeping all these unaccompanied minors instead of sending them back to their home country. Uh, they're telling ICE to stand down on deportations. Uh, they're offering more benefits to illegal immigrants. They've done everything but put a neon sign uh, uh, on the border saying, come back. Unbelievable. Um, I wish I could have gone down there with you, but uh, we'll do it next well, time. Well, I'm going back. I, if they don't plug these walls, if they don't put these panels up, they're laying on the ground. All you got to do is pick them up and put them in. They consider that new wall construction. The Border Patrol has now got 30 and 40 agents standing there looking at a hole. And if you put the panel up, they could go somewhere else. I'm not going to let this go. This is insane. It's stupid. Well, bring me next time, and then we'll, we'll do the whole thing yeah. to take care of Texas side. I want you to hear what Mitch McConnell yeah. said yesterday to Brett Baer. The Republican Party is actually in very good shape. We're sorry we lost the White House, but the Republican Party demonstrated once again this is a 50-50 nation. We're very competitive. I think the Biden administration is making it easy for us to get together, and I think we've 
unified in opposition to this new administration's extremely progressive approach. The President Biden has made it quite easy for us to get together. If the President was the party's nominee, would you support him? Uh, the nominee of the party? Absolutely. Well, that's a change. I don't know. Would he have said that three weeks ago? Uh, I, I, well, here's what I know. I like what Mitch said. He's dead right. The the radical liberal agenda of the Democratic Party, Biden's no more moderate than I am tall, uh, is uniting the Republican Party. President Trump, I've talked to him three times this morning. We got on a phone call with Todd Young, a great senator from Indiana. Todd's going to uh, hopefully be announcing for re-election soon. The president is going to be helpful to all Republican incumbents on the Senate. Uh, you know, uh, we've got a great slate of incumbent, incumbents. He uh, endorsed Jerry Moran uh, yesterday, and he's going to be working with our incumbents, and he'll be helping us in Arizona. He'll be helping us in Georgia and New Hampshire to make sure we take back the Senate. Donald Trump is the most influential Republican voice in America. Uh, I hope he gives a good speech. I'm sure he will, showing the difference between our policies and Biden's policies and getting our base fired up. Uh, I think the great American comeback by Donald Trump is in in place, and I think Senator McConnell's words were very welcome by me. I just end on this. Um, we can't win without Donald Trump, and Donald Trump is making some changes that I think will be helpful to him and the Republican Party. The Democrats are going to overplay their hand, and we're going to take the House and the Senate in 2022 if we continue to work together. So what Senator McConnell said was very helpful. What President Trump is doing working with Republicans in the House and Senate is extremely helpful. The comeback is going to happen. So I know you're hopeful on that, but I think I will get the sense if it'll happen, because even though President Trump supporters like when he attacks anybody that uh, crosses him, it's not wise. And if he goes after Kinzinger and Liz Cheney and Mitt Romney and Senator uh, Cassidy, that would be a bad sign. Do you think that he, in my view, and a lot of my listeners don't agree with me, but I don't care. Uh, in my view, well, yeah. uh, is that, do you think he will on Sunday? Well, I think what he will do is be the alternative to Joe Biden. He's the strongest voice in the party. Do you agree with that? Uh, he's the person who has the biggest megaphone. I want him to explain to the American people what Biden's doing is not going to work. What he did, President Trump did, did work. I want him to, you know, I don't expect him to, you know, people taking shots at him, he's going to take shots back. You know, I like Liz Cheney. I agree with her politics uh, almost all the time, but uh, it takes two to reconcile here. So what I would say is that um, I would look forward, not backward. If President Trump can lead our party back into power in the House and the Senate in 2022, that shows that his brand is strong. And that sets the foundation for coming back in 2024. The better we do as Republicans in 2022, the better President Trump does. We need one more senator to stop the most radical agenda in the history of American politics. If we have one more Republican, we shut, we could shut this whole thing down. Uh, we got a good chance with the 2022 map. So united, we're going to right. succeed. Divided, we will fail. You will, uh, no doubt about it. And if President Trump can uh, avoid illegal perils, I, I think right now he could be uh, back stronger than ever because I don't. I think he defies age. Uh, Senator Graham, always great to talk to you. Thanks, Brian. Take care. A senator of consequence, whether it's immigration or Syria or uh, domestic politics. Back in a moment with your calls, one 408 
newsmakers, and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's a shame that um, national politics have come to play in what is really a local issue. I mean, locally, we are the ones who are making the decisions about what our kids are are, are or are not going to do from an education standpoint. You know, na- you know, national politicians can say all they want, but... At the end yeah. of the day, it's up to our community and our school board and our school administration to get the kids back in school. Rachel Kill is a mom of two and has had it with keeping her kids out of school. So she is running for the school board in her town, and she's going to push to get these teachers back in school and push the unions to do the right thing. That's what it's come to a year later. You can't just wait for your governor to step up. In California, you'll, you'll uh, absolutely have to move out to get your kids back in school. They just don't want to do it. They, and Joe Biden doesn't want to stand up as president of the United States to the union. Joe is listening on WABC in the Bronx. Joe. Hey, good morning. Uh, I want to ask, are you familiar with Peter Brimelow? He was the author of Alien Nation. Mm, not off the top of my head. Doesn't ring a bell. Okay. Uh, so basically, Alien Nation really uh, caused a few waves about a couple decades back with regard to the immigration situation, particularly post-1965, when the immigration laws went up, over, went under a major overhaul. And basically, he runs a site. It's vdare.com. And it covers the immigration issue more precisely than the mass media ever will. Yeah, um, I do not not familiar with the book, but we'll discuss it. We will discuss the immigration. And next, Con- Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis will be talking about immigration as well as what's happening with Governor Cuomo. Is he going to get a pass on sexual allegations? Uh, why is it that he would and others won't? I don't think he will. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, obviously, these allegations are serious and deeply concerning. And anyone has uh, a right to come forward to be heard and to have allegations be investigated. Um, Governor Cuomo also has a right to be heard. And he has come forward and has denied these allegations. But ultimately, the decision will be up to the state legislature. Yeah, it's so nice to see a very cool and calculated Senator Gillibrand, unlike the Gillibrand that when the Me Too movement wanted to blow up every single 
uh, man that was accused by a woman, including a guy named Al Franken in her own party. Seems kind of cool and calculated now she's not running for president or trying to set the groundwork to run for president. Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis, uh, Foreign Affairs Committee is her new committee, but she is new to Washington but not new to New York politics by a long shot. Congresswoman, welcome. Hey, great to be with you, Brian. Thank you. So you have sexual uh, harassment allegations. You also have emails proof, and the accuser knows him well and is not some right-wing Republican, is she? No, absolutely not. In fact, uh, he, she was part of his administration. Uh, but what's interesting here, Brian, is that, uh, you know, the double standard you just play, you know, Senator Gillibrand just one example of that, even the governor himself. Uh, you know, when Justice Kavanaugh was uh, accused of sexual harassment, um, you know, he said that there must be an FBI investigation, that he must take a lie detector test. Even when there was a state assembly member while I was serving in the assembly who was accused of sexual harassment, he said that he shouldn't spend another day in office. He should resign immediately. And now all of a sudden the governor has this lax approach and doesn't want to address the issue at hand, just like he doesn't want to apologize or take responsibility for the thousands of nursing home deaths that resulted because of his failed policies. Yeah, she didn't have a chance, Gillibrand, to really read anything. Cut 24. I have not read her allegations or her um, post, her medium post. But as I said, um, everyone has a right to be able to come forward, speak their truth um, and be heard. And that's true for her. And it's also true for uh, Governor Cuomo. So he's in trouble uh, because a lot of these people are on the record going very aggressively ask people who have allegations. Basically, you have to prove your innocence as, as opposed to prove your guilt. Uh, and things have gotten kind of reversed. So in this big picture, when you hear about this, one thing the accuser did bring up is other people are going to come out and denounce me, but there are other victims, but they're scared to come forward. Have you heard about that in New York, New York political circles that he tries to intimidate people? Well, absolutely. Everyone knows that's his tactic. Uh, just look what happened to uh, his fellow Democrat, Assemblyman Ron Kim, who spoke up against him because his uncle died in a nursing home due to Governor Cuomo's order. And he was threatened. He was bullied by the governor. And it's one of the reasons why I've already called for Governor Cuomo to resign. You know, this new allegation of sexual harassment is really adding on. But he should have been resigning weeks ago. After it was found out that there was a cover-up that his own chief of staff admitted to, uh, that they were stonewalling the legislature, that they underreported numbers because they didn't want the Department of Justice to gain access to that information because they think that there is a problem there. So this is something that, uh, you know, the governor needs to accept responsibility for, I believe, whether it's resignation, whether it be criminal prosecution, whether it be at the ballot box next year, or possibly even impeachment as the state legislature is looking at that now. So the governor's days are numbered. And, you know, thousands of New Yorkers have expressed this sentiment to me. They share my concern. They've, they've added their name at enoughcuomo.com, and people can continue to do that because we need to make sure that the governor understands that New Yorkers are not happy right now. And, look, worst-case scenario, he will be defeated for a fourth term at the ballot box like his father was. I know that's not your direct concern, but, Congresswoman, in New York City, they just sent back middle schoolers uh, today. And they haven't even sent back the high schoolers yet. Yet the president yeah. of the teachers union says New York has, has been a uh, has been emblematic of the right way to do things. That's under his leadership. He could easily be pushing to open things up. You know, 20 to 30, 25 to 35 percent restaurants being open. How can you possibly have that along with a 10 o'clock curfew and make ends meet? You must be hearing from business owners uh, on a regular basis. 
you know, this is this is one of the top things that I've been talking about. And just just I don't know if you had heard because you've been on the air, but Chancellor Carranza just resigned as chancellor of New York City schools. Um, but in addition to that, really? uh, the governor bears. Yeah, it just broke a little while ago. And partly, I assume, is because he has not been able to reopen the schools effectively. But he's been uh, he's been unsuccessful in getting these kids back to school, oh, reopening a school athletic. All of that. But um, what I'll say is that Governor Cuomo has implemented arbitrary restrictions that have hurt our small businesses. Uh, He received $4 billion from the previous packages to reopen schools, and those schools have not closed throughout uh, New York State. Um, And and I have to tell you, if you look at the formula in this COVID package, they're actually rewarding governors like uh, Cuomo and and Newsom because they shifted the funding from population-based to uh, highest unemployment rate. So they're actually being rewarded for shutting down the economy and driving people out of work, which is really unconscionable to me. Can you imagine that if you're in Florida, you go out of your way to take a big risk to tell people to be responsible and give people freedom and you've done it and it's working and in turn you get less money on a bailout that we really shouldn't get because we have over a trillion unspent and 900 billion not even in the pipeline from December but listen to what Randy Gar- uh, Weingartner said as president of the teachers union there's no perfect solution but frankly i think that new york city has done a pr- a pretty good job in terms of showing the way big school district Lots of issues in terms of of um, uh, old buildings, and we learned a lot from what New York City did in September and October. Is she is she on drugs? Is she kidding me? <laughs> she she must be talking about the Catholic schools because they've been open uh, and being very successful in doing so. Yeah. Look, look, parents could have their choice to keep their children home, uh, and and by the way, so we're dealing with a much smaller population, not just the one. You know, we're not dealing with 1.1 children because a lot of parents still want to keep their parents home, and that's their choice. But we need to restore in-person instruction and all the services that come with that. These kids, they, if for their own mental well-being, we've had number of students commit suicide, including one in my district recently. It is heartbreaking to see this happen, and and they're responsible for not giving these children that option to return to in-class instruction. And they took the money, by the way. That's what pisses me off most. They took the money, the $4 billion in the state, and yet now they want to put another $110 billion into – $130 billion into this budget to reopen schools when the CDC said it only cost $25 billion. So figure that out. Only in a Democratic-run uh, Congress, would you see things uh, costing uh, eight times as much as what was originally estimated? I wish people would lead and not worry about their party, just especially on the local level where you really have to ask someone two or three times if they're doing a good job. Are you a Republican or Democrat? Because if you want those schools open, you simply say, listen, I'd love to give you this money, but I got to tie it to opening up the schools. Oh, you can't open the school? What do you need? Do you need, what do you need? Venting? Do you need regular, do you need more room? Do you want me to get you some portable classrooms? Tell me what you need. But instead, there's just, here's the money. Oh, you're not opening? Make a speech, refer to it, but don't alienate the unions. But back to Governor Cuomo and the accusations that's coming forward. I want people at home to hear because they don't follow. And Governor Cuomo, I, I bring him on the show because he's, a, he's the most high-profile governor, getting the most accolades of anyone in the country, bigger than Biden and Trump combined. Listen to what he said about Justice Kavanaugh. Cut, uh, uh, cut 20. They did absolutely nothing when it came to sexual harassment. Uh, they have always diminished 
the charges of women. You don't understand the pain, you don't understand how the system tortures a person who wants to come forward. So, let's find out the facts. Really? So let's find out the facts. But he's, he says right now there's nothing to it. Uh, I have a well, feeling yeah, he's going to have a hard time outrunning this. Yeah, and, w- and where are all these Democratic women, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton and uh, Kamala Harris and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, that they claim to be the champions Although of women? Although she did. AOC, to her credit, says she wants to get to the bottom of this. Well, that's good. That that that's uh, a plus. She should have done it a long time ago, actually, when when it came out with the nursing homes, because uh, she just recently jumped on that bandwagon to call for the investigation. And look, and I welcome it because I think it's incredibly important. When I was when I called for that investigation in May, I was being accused of political pandering. But now we're seeing his own attorney general of a Democrat, uh, you know, assembly members like Ron Kim, who've been brave enough to speak out, a number of state senators, Democratic, and of course individuals like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, who are now coming out and saying that there's something wrong here, and we want answers for New Yorkers and justice for families. Congresswoman, uh, a couple of things are going on uh, here right now, and it is uh, the passing of this $1.9 trillion that is going through now, and it's all that there's a bridge right now, and you're a New Yorker, but there's a bridge now from New York to Canada that's being built out in San Francisco. They're building a tunnel and getting billions of dollars for transportation. Uh, There's all these extraneous things for arts and entertainment. This is your first run in at the U.S. Congress. Do you find this as obscene as I do? I absolutely do. It's heartbreaking to me that uh, when we're facing a $30 trillion deficit, that they want to uh, put forward a bloated package that isn't targeted and tailored to the specific needs of struggling Americans and small businesses. You know, one thing you forgot on your list was $3.5 billion for the Global Health Fund to for AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria, which means that we, the American taxpayers, are picking up 88% of that organization. It's an international organization, yet we're picking up 88% of their expenditures. And and by the way, it's not related to COVID. So, I mean, that's just another example. You have family planning in here, and they they refuse to include the Hyde Amendment, which would ensure that some of that funding will not go to to abortions. So there's a lot happening in this bill, and I know people want the $1,400 stimulus check, and I, I think most people on both sides of the aisle do support providing that stimulus check, for the, particularly for those who experience losses. We do need to continue unemployment. We do want to make sure that small businesses that were mandated to be shut receive some relief. Uh, but what I have to say is that, you know, giving a package, putting a package like this on the floor is irresponsible. Uh, we should be go- We should be focusing on examining where the need is really going and making sure that trillion dollars that was already allocated gets spent appropriately and shift the funds if you need to. But, you know, this this is really irresponsible. As a New Yorker, I do want money coming to my state. Um, I, I, I do understand that there are a lot of expenses related to COVID, which much of it has been reimbursed. Uh, but what I what I will say is I also want accountability. And I simply don't believe that the mayor and the governor will take this right. money and then not still increase property taxes and income taxes and impose a stock transfer tax and keep our tolls from increasing. I mean, this is the problem. They take the money. They want to have their cake and eat it, too. And um, we just need accountability tied to this package, and we need more responsible spending. Absolutely. And uh, Congresswoman, 
you have 70% of commercial real estate is down 70%. Small businesses, 45% are out of business. About another 20% on top of that think they'll never get back into business. And that's what's weighing on your mind in particular. So you don't want to ignore their needs. But at the same time, you know most of it was preventable. We could have worked our way through this. Instead, we're building these submarines on sidewalks that are more dangerous than if we got inside. So this is the idiocy that will be studied for generations later. But I want to talk about your party for a second. And I think this is emblematic of the clash that you guys are having with between Trump, Liz Cheney, the Adam Kinzingers of the world, and the Matt Gates of the world. Uh, let's listen. This is Kevin McCarthy taking questions with Liz Cheney. They're among your House leadership. Do you believe President Trump should be speaking, or former President Trump should be speaking at CPAC this weekend? Yes, he should. Congressman Cheney? Uh, that's up to CPAC. I've, I've been clear in my views about uh, President Trump and, and the extent to which following extent to which following January 6th, uh, I, don't, I don't believe that he should be playing a role in the future of the party or the country. On that high note, thank you all very much. <laughs> and the media laughs. But it was honest. Uh, she's never going to, it doesn't seem to be, ever want to get in his side. And Kevin McCarthy is on the president's side. Where do you stand, former president? Well, I support President Trump, and I do believe he does have a role in our party. I can tell you that uh, those I represent uh, love him. They voted overwhelmingly for him. And I do believe that uh, he and and his children uh, will still have a role. I mean, I I, I know that Ivanka Trump has particularly uh, good plans for the future. I think she's going to continue to be a force. She's a smart, common sense uh, businesswoman. Uh, and I know both the other sons are also very active, as are the uh, daughter-in-law, Lara Trump. So I think this is a family that's going to continue to play a role in Republican politics, continue to help candidates uh, who they feel are America first candidates are going to uh, carry carry uh, a lot of what Trump fought for, whether it be better trade deals, putting America first, bringing our supply chain home. Right. But you like Liz Cheney, that- too, right? No, I, I do like Liz Cheney. I don't agree with her sentiments here, and I'm I am disappointed that uh, she's gone on you know, news programs expressing this repeatedly. But look, she's entitled to her opinion, uh, and we, what we need to understand is that we need to be a, a united party. Right. Uh, we have to try to stop publicly do, speaking against <laughs> one another. Right. And we need to work united against the Democrats and expose what they're doing. You know, I don't I don't think that we should be going out there attacking each other. But let's just you know, we're going to have disagreements. That's fine. Uh, we all have our own opinion. We're not robots, so we're not going to have the same view. But let's try to focus right. on really what's ahead, and that's protecting this country from socialism, trying to make sure we preserve the American dream gotcha. for future generations, and taking back the House in two years so that way we control the agenda instead of what we're seeing right. now happening with all these bad pieces of legislation that really probably will become law. And you're not supposed to have family fights out in public. We learned that from day one. Uh, get it behind closed doors. Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis already making an impact uh, here in New York and around the country. Thanks, Congresswoman. Thank you. All right. Uh, back in a moment with your calls. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. So if you ask me, theoretically, are reparations justified? The answer is yes. There's not much question that the wealth of this country, the power of this country, was built in significant part, not exclusively, 
maybe not even the majority of it, but a large portion of it was built on the backs of slaves. Well, there were about 5,000 during the Civil War, and they want to go ahead and do reparations in 2021. And now the first African-American or mixed-race president is asking for reparations, something he didn't ask for for eight years. Well, the problem is for President Obama is that if you go in to go to a genealogist and he doesn't deny it, and you go back on his, his mom's family, she's white, they own slaves. So is President Obama writing a check or getting a check? I don't get it. You, if you go back, there's no direct path. I mean, if there, there should have been payments given right after the Civil War Emancipation Proclamation. Absolutely. Abraham Lincoln's goal was to get down, to fly down, not fly, but bring down teachers and build mass housing to give the African-Americans their freedom and a place to live so they wouldn't have to stay and live the same life because they'd have nowhere to go and no maybe uh, discernible skills and education to exercise. But did have skills. In fact, there was um, if you read Booker T. Washington's book, he says they almost felt bad for the white people because they didn't know how to do anything. We did all their work. So they couldn't build a house. They couldn't work the fields. So that was the goal. But in 2021, do you really think that is the best way to go? Mike, listen on WHIO in Ohio. Hey, Mike. Hey, Mike, lower your radio. Can you hear me, Brian? Yeah. Um, real quick. Uh, uh, in, in small town Ohio, we've been in school since March. All right. We're going to have to end it there. Been in school since March. Uh, we got a quick idea of what's happening. Uh, hopefully you could say you're in school, too. Uh, that would certainly help. one 408 From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm just watching the beginning of CPAC, a series of big Republican names from Senator Mike Lee to Governor Ron DeSantis kicking off things in Florida. And now Senator Ted Cruz making a few jokes off uh, having a little bit of fun uh, because, of course, he's uh, been derided on SNL and everything because he made that terrible decision to go to Mexico instead of staying in Texas when they got a once-in-a-lifetime or three-generation uh, freeze. Shannon Bream is going to be joining us eight hours before her show. Uh, but before we do, and also a little bit later, Pete Hegseth from CPAC. And then we'll finish the hour with Coley Shimkus. We'll actually unfold the drama behind Mr. Potato Head. And there's a lot. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We're confident in, uh, in the target that we went after. We know what we hit. And we're confident that that target was being used the same uh, Shia militia that uh, that conducted the, the strikes. Airstrike in Syria in response to Iran's action in Iraq. What was the mission? Who were the targets? And was it successful? All important questions. But this action uh, by President Biden flies in the face of his condemnation of President Trump for doing the exact same thing as candidate Biden. We'll review. Number two. The conservative movement isn't about a a single voice. It's about lots of voices. We have a star-studded lineup of great conservatives. 
Uh, that is Match Lap running things at CPAC. It's underway in Orlando, and there are signs of a coming together amongst Republican higher-ups. We will bring you the latest and preview the president's Sunday speech. Number one. Some of the people making these decisions still have Black Lives Matter yard signs in their lawn, and they're perpetuating uh, the, 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 the worst racially divided educational system since the Jim Crow era all over the country. Uh, J- John James, a self-made success story, military officer and businessman. Back to school. We should have never left. You have heard me say this from before, but now in a remarkable op-ed in all things, and of all things, New York Times, columnist Nicholas Kristof demands that kids get back to school and the teachers' unions make it happen in blue states. Amazing. With me right now is Shannon Bream. Shannon, I know you couldn't get me. You might have gotten a preview last night when you're doing your show. But Nicholas Kristof just calls out everything that we've been saying about the downside of not going to school, about how these kids are wasting away, and these are the kids that need it the most in working-class areas, in rural communities, some of which don't have cell phone service, let alone the Internet. Yeah. I mean, when you're starting to lose the self-described progressive opinion columnist at the New York Times, you maybe have to rethink the strategy here on schools. It's the one thing I see that's spreading across party lines that is just so super frustrating for parents who say, listen, we've said the whole time we're going to follow the science. Well, the CDC has been saying the schools can be reopened. You got to do certain things. You got to be smart about it. Um, But when you look at the extensive damage that is happening to kids by not being in school, I saw a video yesterday. You may have seen it, too, went viral on Twitter and online about a little girl who was in fourth grade whose mom, she comes home and and tells her, you're getting to go back to school on March 3rd, and the girl starts crying. I mean, she's overwhelmed, and you can see what it's done to these kids, and you got to ask the adults to be the adults and figure it out. Is that that hard? Uh, They write, too, if you don't care about the kids, what about the the financial future of our country? The San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank this month estimated the educational disruptions during the pandemic may increase the number of high school dropouts over 10 years by 3.8 percent, while also reducing the number of college-educated workers in the labor force. This will shrink incomes of Americans for 70 years, 7-0, until the last of today's students leave the workforce, the bank said. What does this capture? It goes, what else? The, what this doesn't capture is the human toll, he write, goes on to write. Rich kids going to private schools glide on through life mostly unaffected, while low-income children often don't even have Internet or attend Zoom classes. I'm writing this, he writes, in rural Oregon, where some homes neither have Internet nor cell phone service. It's hard to open schools during a pandemic, but private schools mostly manage to, and that's the truth. Rich boarding schools also strapped Catholic schools have done it. You know how cash-strapped they are. You know how they need people and they actually recruit people. They're finding a way to to actually teach students. Don't those teachers matter as much as public school teachers, Shannon? Yeah, and I have a friend here in the Northern Virginia area outside of D.C. who's had her kids in school since August. Excuse me, and it's one of those smaller um, religious schools that is doing everything they can. She said they haven't had one outbreak or one mass problem where they've had to kick them out of class. That's since last August. So if some schools are figuring out how to do it, and there are going to be exceptions to every rule, you got to think that there are ways for bigger systems to do it. And bigger systems have more money, they have more resources. And one of the frustrating things as we look at this new two billion or two trillion dollar new COVID package is the fact that there's money 
unspent for schools from the last one. And a lot of the money that's tucked into this bill for schools, they can spend it until 2028. It's not even for the mass, vast majority of it for this year. So there are ways for schools to move forward. And I understand being afraid. All of us get a little weird and nervous when we have to go um, to the office and go back to a normal work setting. Um, there's going to be inherent risk in anything we do and getting in your car and driving anywhere. we got to be smart about it. But if there are schools that have done this for months and months and months, having kids in person, we know um, just by what we can see with our own eyes that it can be done. So Adam Carolla tweets out and basically calls these teachers cowards for not going back to school and says, if you want to follow the science, go back to school. And his kids can't go back to school. So he, he, he's, he's a self-made success story. You know him. He used mm-hmm. to be a boxing coach, and he used to work on cars and build houses, and he became a comedian, podcaster. I think the guy's hysterical, uh, but he's dead serious about this. When he came out and said that, they had the teachers' unions trying to pressure his sponsors to drop him and say, mm-hmm. how dare he condemn them while sitting in his mansion. Listen to what Adam told Tucker. Cut seven. I got 14-year-old twins that have been sitting in their La Cunada mansion rotting for the last year. And they were supposed to start high school, and they've never started high school. And it's abundantly clear what's going on now. The people that tell you to follow the science are ignoring the science. So I just realized we're going to have to buck up. I mean, they're ice sculptures. They're not going anywhere. They're frozen. And we need to step up and people need to rise up and start telling these heroes to start doing their job again. Yeah. Is it possible? So do you think things will change? Shannon, when you're doing the show in two or three weeks, do you think we're going to have a country back in school? Uh, You know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that the parents are growing more and more uh, emboldened. I think they they see each other, regardless of party or race or background or anything else, and they have a common thread in wanting their kids to be back in school. And as you said, when you look at the kids who are most disadvantaged, um, they're going to continue to fall behind because people who can get their kids in private school or places that are open or private tutors or whatever, they're trying to move their kids forward, too, like any parent wants to. They just have more resources. So. Uh, if we really care about inequality and imbalance and people being at a disadvantage, we're going to want to get all schools open and safely. Nobody is saying go back and go crazy and no masks and no distancing and teachers everywhere and, and kids crowding in the halls like it always was. Things are going to have to be different, but if we really care about every student and every kid out there, we're going to have to find a way. The year was 20, 2018. The sexual allegations were coming against Justice Kavanaugh. And here's what some very familiar voices from Kamala Harris to Hillary Clinton to Nancy Pelosi to AOC had to say, cut 22. I believe her to testify in the United States Senate against someone who is being nominated to one of the most powerful positions in the United States government. That takes an extraordinary amount of courage. I found her very credible. You have to ask yourself, why would anybody put themselves through this if they did not believe that they had important information? We're here to show our solidarity. We're here to show our respect for all women who have a case. When we talk about process and due process and justice, it it must center on the victim. I just want to say to the men of this country, just shut up and step up. Do the right thing. So is she talking to Governor Cuomo? Because now he has a sexual assault allegation that was formalized, and she has some emails that show how she was harassed. You used to do this for a living. So... 
Tell me where this case is going, and do you see some hypocrisy? Because I have not seen any of those women speak out outside AOC said she wants an investigation. Yeah, I mean, I think that I'm going to say the same thing that I said when this happened to Brett Kavanaugh, which is due process is important for everybody. I think that um, we should afford that to anybody who's been accused of a crime. But if we're also going to say the other part of that equation is equally important, that we listen to the allegations, that we take women seriously, that we don't immediately start disparaging them and questioning them, that's also going to be consistent, too, whether the accuser is Lindsey Boylan or Christine Blase Ford. I mean, you've got to have consistency about how you treat these cases. If you want people to take you seriously. And um, I think a number of the women yesterday who had spoken out so much, for instance, in the Brett Kavanaugh case, they're all now under the spotlight because everybody's saying, are you going to be consistent? And you said that AOC has come out and made a statement. I think Senator Gillibrand um, said, well, I haven't read the allegations yet, but yeah, we got to you know take them seriously. I think that it's so easy in this day and age to play people's words back to them, yeah. um, as you just did. So yeah, yeah, you've got to you've got to ask for consistency. Now, I have seen some of these groups like Times Up, that were very big in the Me Too movement, that were well funded and backed by celebrities, come out. Times Up yesterday did say we want a full investigation, but they said by the Cuomo administration. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work, and I don't think that's going to satisfy most people. Um, but the fact that people are even calling for investigations, I think they've made so many statements in the last couple of years about conservative men or Republican appointees that they really have no choice at this point but to eat those words or step up. Yeah, what I'm wondering is in your practice, from what you've noticed, has usually more than one, if it is true, yeah, usually when we would find a situation in, you know, where you'd have allegations in the workplace of somebody being pestered by a boss or, you know, we had people who would do crazy things like drop their pants or, you know, uh, that they would make copies of their private parts on the office printer. I mean, that's not a one-time thing with a one person. I mean, in my in my experience in practicing sexual harassment law, it was more of a pattern with people who felt like they could get away with certain things. Um, every case is different, but in most of the cases that we handled, it seemed like, you know, somebody felt like they were going to be able to get away with this behavior because you don't do things that crazy in the office, like grab someone and kiss them or do whatever, if you're not in some way emboldened feeling like it must have worked in some point or it does, you know, get you some kind of reaction from someone. Um, very hard to believe it's the one-off case. Could be, but, you know, generally that wasn't my experience. Right. It's going to be really tough to run a Me Too movement with the, with any dur- any durability and turn your back on this woman who is an aide to him, is a liberal Democrat, does not want to hop on and get publicity, but she said seeing Assemblyman Kim get berated like he did two weeks ago, that really prompted her to come forward. So Mm -hmm. we'll see where this goes. It's totally left-wing generated here in New York. There's no Republican coming up with an allegation or escorting her in front of the press. That makes it it interesting. Um, I almost feel like I'm watching somebody else's family fight it out. Uh, Shannon, is there anything you want to promo except for you have a book coming out? I do. Yeah. We've got a new book coming out called Women of the Bible Speak, 16 Women and Their Lessons for Today. And, you know, when you look back, uh, these women lived thousands of years ago, but the, many of their problems are very 2021. We've all struggled the last year, and I found a lot of inspiration in writing this book about women who overcame all kinds of things, you know, um, just betrayals, infertility, um, feeling kind of lost in the world, illnesses, 
battles against foreign nations. There are women who led Israel into battle. So um, there are all kinds of characters, and I, I think there's something to draw for everybody just to be inspired and say, listen, none of these problems are new under the sun that we're facing today, and these women had God's help and his guidance, and they made it through, and I think you can too. I think that's that's very true to your personality, uh, to the things that matter to you and the way you hold yourself on a daily basis. That's why this book will sell, much like Janice Deans, who also has a sunny personality. She's very sunny. We love her. And she comes out next week with a brand new book. Uh, she Shannon, does. Uh, so how do you feel about your time switch? You know what? I'm a night person, so this works for me. If you told me, you know, that I have to be ready at 6 a.m. like you guys, uh, I might start crying. Or I might just stay up through the night if I did your show <laughs> because <laughs> that is a brutal thing when you get up at like 2 or 3 in the morning to get your day going. But for some reason, it doesn't bother me at the other end. So, yeah, over the next few weeks, we will switch to 12 a.m. Eastern. It'll be 9 o'clock on the West Coast, and uh, the team is ready to go. I think it's My awesome. biggest problem yeah. in life right now is that my dog, I don't know if Rocky and Apollo do this for you, she keeps putting all of her toys while I'm talking to you under the couch. Oh, really? Because then you know you have to get them out, like the tennis balls and everything else. I'm like, nope, they're staying under there. I'm talking to Uncle Brian right now, well, and that I, stuff's just going to have to stay under there. Thank you for making me a priority. I usually you am are. not a priority That's ever. Nice. <laughs> so this is. But Friday mornings you are. All right. And now when I, when you hang up, you got to go on your hands and knees and go get the yep. toys. Wow. With all the dog fur and everything that's down there. And, it's and not going to be just, pleasant, but I'm going to do it. Let me just say, from my perspective, it's great because I cannot believe how much it, your show helps me get ready for the morning show. Be I used to a special report in the pre-Trump era would always give me the latest news and would help me the next morning. But mm-hmm. special report is so old news. Sorry, Brett. By the time your show comes on, <laughs> your lead stories are almost always different. Have you found that? Yeah, I mean, you think about last night, Syria. We had the airstrike happen in Syria, so that was late. Also, you had the Senate parliamentarian rule that that $15 minimum wage thing was going to be kicked out of the COVID bill. So, yeah, I mean, things are always developing, um, and we had a pretty newsy night last night, and we find that's often the case because news is just on a 24-hour cycle now. All right, uh, Shannon, thanks so much. I appreciate you still talking to me. Good luck. I will continue. Good luck getting your toys. Hope it's not a Mr. Potato Head because I don't want any controversy in the Bream household. Head to you. Okay, thank you. That's true. We're going to get more of that story. That'll make sense. You'll laugh even harder when you find out the context. one 408 7669 In a half hour, you'll find out why Mr. Potato Head has never been more controversial. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's a shame that um, national politics have come to play in what is really a local. I mean, locally, we are the ones who are making the decisions about what our kids are are, are or are not going to do from an education standpoint. You know, na- you know, national politicians can say all they want, but at the end yeah. of the day, it's up to our community and our school board and our school administration to get the kids back in school. And you hear the frustration in California in particular, Washington and Seattle, excuse me, Oregon, and they're just not back. You know, it's too risky. The schools don't have enough money. Uh, the teachers don't feel secure. Uh, there's not enough space. We don't have enough masks, so we don't want to stagger the schedule. Uh, it's just safer to keep them 
at home until next year. And who knows what excuse they're going to have next year. Uh, I find it totally unacceptable, and we've seen the studies that show the kids are paying a huge price for this, a huge price for this. And uh, it won't be made up in pure dollars, emotions, and we're going to be paying it unnecessary. There's certain things we have no control over. This is a decision we have control over. Along with the businesses shut down, Florida has embarrassed you. Mike, WHIO, I cut you short. Mike, what's on your mind about teachers? Hi. Yeah, I just wanted to make the point. Brian, thanks for taking my call. In Ohio, small town Ohio, our kids have been in school since the start of the school year, and uh, everything's been fine. Public school? Public school. And really, small town Ohio, so I'm talking at least six high schools in six different towns. Do they wear masks? Do they play sports? They do. They do. They do both. But really, my daughter is in a career center. And um, the mask use is very limited, but there's been no issues. Thank you. Thank you so much. Real world decision. Good job, Ohio. Good job, small town, Ohio. I don't know if that's the case for all WHIO listeners. When we come back, Pete Hegseth will be joining us from CPAC, where he's already seen Ted Cruz is still speaking. He's way over time. The Mac. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. The Republican Party is actually in very good shape. We're sorry we lost the White House, but the Republican Party demonstrated once again this is a 50-50 nation. We're very competitive. I think the Biden administration is making it easy for us to get together, and I think we've unified in opposition to this new administration's extremely progressive approach. The President Biden has made it quite easy for us to get together. If the president was the party's nominee, would you support him? Uh, the nominee of the party? Absolutely. Uh, that is a shocking statement for me because I remember Mitch McConnell three weeks ago eviscerating the president after voting not to impeach him. What about Pete Hegseth, who's going to be speaking at CPAC? Uh, we are down there on, on, this, uh, on this day two of the events, which will culminate uh, with the former president of the United States speaking for at least an hour. Uh, Pete, you're getting set for Fox and Friends weekend while doing multiple hits, but you found time for us. Thanks. Of course, Brian, for you, anytime. You know that. Your book is Untold Patriots. It's still out, uh, available on Fox Nation. We're going to be streaming all the events at CPAC. And for Republicans who have been kind of uh, out in the wilderness, this is somewhat therapeutic. First off, before I ask you how things are there, what was your reaction to Brett Baer's interview and that comment from Mitch McConnell? First of all, I think you're totally right. It's a very uh, therapeutic moment right now. This entire uh, that's, that's very much the feel uh, on the floor of CPAC. I, you know, it actually didn't surprise me all that much. It, 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 I mean, three weeks is a lifetime in politics. It's true. There was the immediacy, the moment of the comments that Mitch McConnell made. But this is the guy that also wrote the book, The Long Game. And under, hey, he understands where the base of the party is. And I, you're going to see that here at CPAC, which is – as good of a reflection of the, the the base of the base of the Republican Party as you're going to get, it's the states coming together. You know, you you got you got state leadership of Republican and conservative causes from all over the country descending into one place in Florida, and I think you'll see in this straw poll. I won't make a prediction, but 
the straw poll of CPAC is always very interesting. And I, I think you're going to see Donald Trump way out front of anybody else. Uh, and, and ultimately, the support for him is deep. And Mitch McConnell knows that. And he's building an agenda smartly around opposition to the Biden presidency and executive orders and the radicalism of what they've attempted to do. But underneath it all is the reality of the, that the modern Republican Party has been shaped more uh, – nobody shaped it more than Donald Trump, and you'll see that here at CPAC too. Yeah, I mean his stubborn popularity, as I said in my open, he, then no, everyone's shocked. Nothing's really budged. Nothing's really changed. He's not tweeting. He's not on Facebook. Uh, he's not making policy. He's not making appearances. And the Republicans are firmly behind him. This is why I was a little surprised. Liz Cheney, who got a reprieve in a private ballot, she was able to keep her leadership role despite voting for impeachment. But I think we uh, we saw this together, uh, Pete, earlier this week. This is a wrap-up of Kevin McCarthy meeting with the press with, with House leadership behind him. Do you believe President Trump should be speaking, or former President Trump should be speaking at CPAC this weekend? Yes, he should. Congressman Cheney? Uh, that's up to CPAC. I've, I've been clear in my views about uh, President Trump and, and the extent to which, following the extent to which, following January sixth, uh, I don't I don't believe that he should be playing a role in the future of the party or the country. On that high note, thank you all very much. <laughs> so your reaction? <laughs> that's a tough press conference to wrap. Uh, I my reaction is this is a party. Uh, controlled more by the people than the elites, uh, and, and that I think is a very good thing. And the people, why are the people so behind a Donald Trump? I mean, that's the big, the operative question. They feel like he's the first person to see them, hear them, listen to them, and have their have their interests in mind all kind of wrapped together in America First agenda. He still remains the only quote unquote politician they felt like said what they were going to do and then went and did it and fought like hell to make it happen. And they look around the the, uh, the the rest of the Republican Party and they say, still nobody that can hold a candle to him. And and you know what what someone like Liz Cheney misses is that of course she's going to get the warm glow of the D.C. press, but then she has to turn back around and go to Wyoming where her own Republican Party has censured her, and it's unclear where the voters necessarily will go. So I mean, it, it is a there's a schism inside the Republican Party, but it's a small it's a smaller than the national media thinks. And and Biden's actions help unify people quickly. But underneath it all is the big question, what will Trump do in 2024? And we'll see if we get a preview of that on Sunday, because without him on Twitter, the appetite is even more voracious to hear what he says on any number of topics. I'm very curious to see if he has any regrets about being on so often, because it's been it hasn't dissipated his impact at all. And it's kind of maybe might be less stressful for him not to weigh in on every single issue for the first time in five years. Right. Well, aren't there a lot of advisors that said to you know Donald Trump over the years, maybe sometimes less is more? Uh, and he'll say to you, hey, I'm the president. I'm the one that got in this position single-handedly, so I'll, I'll write my own advice. But be, you know, one of the side effects of, of Twitter canceling him is that he has taken that pause to listen and to reflect. And it'll be very interesting uh, to see what he says. Hopefully, Brian, I, I think you echo this. Hopefully it's uh, much more forward-looking. And you can talk about ballot integrity and you can talk about making sure you protect the vote and that's all fine. But uh, a, a relitigation necessarily of the past doesn't doesn't everybody knows where everyone stands on that. So hopefully it is forward looking, indicting Biden, giving a preview of where he wants the party to go. I tell you what would strike fear into the hearts of every Democrat if he goes out there and just talks about Joe Biden, talks about his issues, talks about the need to reform voting. And does not rip Kinzinger, does not rip Liz Cheney, does not rip uh, Cassidy, because they, that was that was the element that made him beatable. 
because he would be dividing Republicans and allow uh, these Lincoln projects to crop up. Imagine if he doesn't. Some are going to leave regardless, but imagine if he doesn't. So what is it like there as they switch from Maryland to Orlando? Uh, is the attendance up, Pete? I know the passion's there, but is the attendance up? The attendance is it's it, it sold out, but it's sold out on a limited capacity because of social distancing requirements in Orlando. So it may be Florida, but Orlando and the county here is still controlled by Democrats who have put some pretty strong restrictions on the event. So it's packed, but packed in a more limited context than what you've seen from other CPACs. But just the fact that it's in Orlando, uh, I think, is a reflection. And hearing Governor DeSantis at the beginning, it, 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 so much of it is the de- of the defiance is just we are gathering, we are here. Uh, and we might have to wear a mask and all of that, but ultimately, and I, there's a, there is a lot of talk about opening up and thank, gratitude, which the national media doesn't give much to, to to President Trump for Operation Warp Speed and all the things that have created the environment where we're finally on our way out. I think you'll hear a lot about that as well. So enthusiastic for sure. A lot of it is just bottled up anticipation for Sunday. I hate to say it, but it feels like most of the uh, of the convention is prelude to that big speech on uh, Sunday afternoon. So the other thing, Pete, to keep in mind, as you do, is the Biden's have the Biden administration has already given Republicans not manufactured but legitimate issues. They are creating yes. chaos at the border where there wasn't it. President did the hard job. There was no reason for him to blow up all those policies. He had a perfect political cover with the pandemic going front and center. And then he goes with the oil and gas and blowing up the pipeline like he did, 15,000 jobs. The whole push, push for green technology and his pledge to go across party lines, it just shows it's totally made out of paper mache because the rescue package is the easiest thing for him to get through on a, a bipartisan basis. Three already did on a bipartisan basis, and he chose mm-hmm. not to. No, he chose to go Bernie. I mean, Bernie was right. Remember when Bernie said this, this, if we do our job right, if we hold him accountable, if we box him in, this will be the most progressive president who we've ever seen. And Bernie was correct. I mean, you've got uh, Joe Biden, who's effectively beholden to his advisors. You've got Susan Rice, Susan Rice in the Domestic Policy Council. You have all these radicals running committees like Bernie Sanders. They're, they're, going full, they're, they're going full court press. Plus, they're still all infected with Trump derangement syndrome. So the idea of bipartisanship is just a talking point. And their base really wants them to ram it through. And so that's what they're doing, except it's all disconnected from who Joe Biden said he was going to be. Uh, and that disconnect eventually reaches its way to voters who say, wait, I didn't sign up for a remaking of America here. I thought I was getting something different with Uncle Joe. And the question then becomes if there really is a miss me yet moment where the polls start to show that people are saying, well, you know, that Trump era, you know, the whole COVID thing happened before that we were sailing. And you may not love every aspect of what he tweeted, but, man, he he brought us to a strong place as a country and was willing to stare down China. We're still too early to get a sense of whether that will happen. But I do think – not to keep going back to his speech, but I do think that the content of the speech will be a preview of what kind of uh, alternate option – uh, the Republican Party presents to the radicalism of Biden. There's no doubt. All right. Of course, everybody knows you had tours in Afghanistan, Iraq, and still in the National Guard. And I wonder what your thoughts when Lloyd Austin made this announcement that there was a strike last night in Syria. Cut 15. We're confident in, uh, in the target that we went after. We know what we hit. And we're confident that that target was being used by the same uh, Shia militia that, uh, that conducted the, the strikes. So we know this happened last night. We know seven JDAMs dropped in seven different locations, killed 17. What are your thoughts? Well, I got no problems dropping JDAMs on Iranian militias that have are are still attempting to kill Americans. So I think 
uh, actions like this are necessary to be taken in a world where Iran is is still, um, you know, is still our enemy and still attempting to export terrorism around the world. The problem is it just feels very disconnected from an from a maximum pressure campaign. Yep. I mean, the Trump administration said we're going to put sanctions on and we're going to JDAM. Uh, we're going to drop a 500-pound bomb or a targeted strike on Qasem Soleimani. It all made sense because it was a coherent approach to say, Tehran, you won't get a bomb, and we're going to put pressure on you. This feels like, okay, we're meeting with the Iranians, but we're, we're, we're putting missiles into buildings in Syria. It, I don't know what the message is to Tehran other than a quick tit for tat. Uh, and, and, and meanwhile, they're holding their hand out saying, come back to the negotiating table. So it feels – and oh, by the way, the, the same Obama administration, or excuse me, uh, Biden administration officials were critical of Trump when he made similar actions. So it's hard, it's hard to understand where the coherence is on this. Brian. We're going to watch Pete uh, his speech. You can watch him on Fox Nation. You can watch all CPAC. You can also watch Pete six to ten at least Saturday and Sunday from Orlando outside <laughs> of CPAC. So you're going to be a busy time. But it's not like you have to get off early to shave because you are not shaving, and that is another story no. that is continuing to get traction. I've checked the welcome Fox and Friends welcome binder, and there's no shave policy. And until it's added in, uh, I feel like we got latitude, Brian. All right, Will Kane, your move. All right, Pete, thanks so much. <laughs> Back in a moment with Carly Shimkus, we'll find out the truth behind Mr. Potato Head. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I don't want to waste much time because I have quality time with Carly Shimkus from radio and television. Hi, Carly. Hi. I just turned on my own mic. I don't know if I was allowed to do that. Is that all right, uh, Eric? Did you break anything? I turned turned it on, then I quickly turned it off because I got scared. Right. (laughs) Eric's intimidating, and he's got a temper. We'll allow it. Okay, good. So, Eric, I think it's time to find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. It's a good idea to call that number. Let's talk about Mr. Potato Head going gender neutral. Thank you. Uh, Hasbro announced yesterday that they were dropping the Mr. in order to be more inclusive. How did that go over? Everybody freaked out. (laughs) (laughs) And then they posted a tweet, and I want to read it. It's so confusing, it hurts my brain. It says, while the Potato Head branding name and logo are dropping the Mr., I am proud to confirm that Mr. and Mrs. (laughs) Potato Head aren't going anywhere and will remain Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. I had to read that like four times, and then I figured it out. The box is going to say Potato Head instead of Mr. Potato Head, but the do- you can- you're still going to be able to get a male and female potato. Can you believe? I cannot believe it's gotten <laughs> to this. I mean, it's just so silly. And plus, if you look at Mr. Potato Head, he has no body. He has you, no doesn't, body. No one's, no one's pushing you to pick a gender, the, but we know it's Mr. You could plug in the pieces however you want. Um, this is when woke virtual signal- signaling just becomes so silly and but ridiculous and it's transparent. It's the people at the top of Hasbro. They're probably super liberal. They wanted the praise and it backfired. Next. Prince Harry reveals to James Corden, my favorite late night host, why he stepped back from the royal family. It was destroying his mental health? It was never walking away. It was it was stepping back rather than stepping down. You know, it was a really difficult environment, as I think a lot of people saw. We all know what the British press can be like. And it was destroying my mental health. I was really? like, this is toxic. I did what any husband and what any father would do. Is like, I need to get my family out of here. But we never walked away. And as far as I'm concerned, whatever decisions are made on that side, I will never walk away. 
I will always be contributing, but my life is public service. So wherever I am in the world, it's going to be the same thing. But it, I think they kind of basically kicked him out of the royal family, well, right? Kind he has, of. has no royal duties. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that this is so sad uh, because you you are really seeing a public divorce of a, a a family, and it's a very high profile. Are you big family. into this? I really do like the royal family. I like the history, uh, the tradition of it. I, I follow the royal family pretty closely. I'm watching The Crown right now. A little late to the party on that one. It's okay. It's not great. It's good. Um, but I feel sad for the whole situation well, because you never want a family to uh, be going through such public, uh, you know, tumultuous times. I'm great at relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, you wouldn't know that. I'm just going to put it This was the problem. I would. The problem is he had no problem with the family when he was serving the military and growing up with it and Princess Diana all the mania. His problem was his wife had problems with the family, mm. causing him stress with the family and stress when he goes home to his family. That's the problem. I read the situation pretty similarly, too. So you have sad. the same gift I have? Yes, we are wonderful with relationships, apparently, except for, I don't know. I, I do think that he had trouble with the media and, and all that as well, but it's just a big old mess, and hopefully he's happy. I mean, it's not like he's hurting for cash, so they're okay on money. Your story. All of those Zoom meetings and, you know, classes and all that stuff really messing with our minds, according to science. Stanford researchers say Zoom fatigue is real. And the reason behind it is kind of weird. Okay, so psychologists found that um, that when people are staring at you for a long period of time, even through a computer screen... It suggests either mating or combat in your primal brain, so it stresses you out. Do you believe this? A little bit. Yeah. I, know, I know it's not working. Also, staring at yourself for a long period of time, looking at your reflection, could make you unhappy with your physical appearance. And I believe that to be true because plastic surgeons say that since the selfie, people have you know increased nose jobs. Oh, is that true? That. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say this. I never tire of looking at myself. Is that, <laughs> I, that is... I should get diagnosed with something. Brian's great with relationships, in particular, and the one with him. Thank you. <laughs> Next, Tiger Woods, aware of the crash, but he knows who put his career in jeopardy, but not doesn't remember a thing. He's since transferred to Cedar sinai Hospital as they try to rebuild his right leg and maybe more. Awful, awful situation. Does that mean if he doesn't remember the crash... Could that mean that he blacked out before? I mean, maybe he had some sort of, I, I don't know. I don't know. Eric, do you, uh, Pete, do you want to weigh in? Could he have blacked out before? I don't think anybody's suggesting that. But maybe maybe that just means that he doesn't remember the aftermath of the crash. And, you know, because he was supposed to be awake at that time. I feel so bad for him and the whole situation. It's awful. Bone outside the skin, open <gasps> fractures affecting both the upper and lower portions of the tibia fibula. Uh, according to, to doctors, they had to nail the tibia into oh. his back. So it's not even screws wouldn't even work. Additional injuries to the bones and foot and ankle were stabilized with a combination of screws and pins. So, you know, at 45, he only had a few more years of highly competitive golf left. We don't know if he's got to relearn to stand Who's, who's that football player that had that devastating leg injury and then came back? Uh, Philip No, uh, no Smith. A- a- Alex Smith, former number one same, pick of the San Francisco kind of thing. Yeah, it could, hopefully without the infections because yes. he had the infection. So this is going to be key the next few days. But mm-hmm. I assume they moved him because they were able to close it up. Last story. Oh, we oh we're running out of time. Darn it. Um, okay. Oh, I love this. Uh, dirty former dirty job host Mike Rowe. He issued the greatest response to a woman who criticized him on social media. He said, "The thing that fascinates me, Jennifer, is the part where you assume your respect is something I am craving." Because she said, I, lo- "I lost all respect for you." I thought that was the best 
comeback of all time. Agreed. Thanks so much. Uh, Carly, I want you to have a sensational weekend. Oh, you too. All right, and then report back on Monday with a good attitude, just like today. My pleasure. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.